between different civilizations and religions. Minded, who realizes, look, we're not the only Muslims who are influenced by the Chinese civilization. And so look, that has not traveled and seen different civilizations. Like a scholar that has not interpretations of the religion of Islam and they all began in the Islamic Empire. The 132nd year after the Hijrah marks the beginning of the reign of Bani al-Abbas, the Abbasids. A government, an establishment, and an empire that takes its name, that takes its name after the youngest of Rasulullah's uncles, Al-Abbas, who is buried in the Baqiq, in the holy city of Medina. This date marks a new era to the establishment of the second dynasty and the religion of Islam and the third Khilafah, the first being Al-Khilafah Rashida, the rightly guided caliphs, second the reign of Bani Umayyah, the Umayyad dynasty and third is the Abbasid dynasty. Now this dynasty is highly praised and glorified by Muslim scholars and thinkers. It is described to be the golden era of Islam. It is described to be an era in which every Muslim should be proud of. Why? Because the Islamic territory had reached one-third of the earth. One-third of the earth was governed by the Muslim Caliph. 37, 37 of the current countries today were governed by the Khalifa from Baghdad. The Abbasi Khalifa from Baghdad. 11.7 million kilometers were part of the seventh largest empire in history. The Abbasi dynasty is the seventh largest empire in history, a time in which the capital of the Khilafah from Baghdad was the center that attracted intellectuals, 
and scholars and physicians and engineers from all over the world. Dar al-Baytul Hikmah, the house of wisdom was established by the Abbasi government, the house of wisdom, that attracted scholars, religious scholars, chemists, mathematicians, engineers, physicians, orators, thinkers, authors, writers from all over the world. It was the era in which the Islamic literature was translated into many different languages and spread around the world. It was the time and era in which books were translated from different languages to Arabic and studied in Bayt al-Hikmah in Baghdad so that the Muslims can seek knowledge from different civilizations. It was also a time of great mixing in cultures. Imagine 37 countries, current countries, have now become part of the Islamic empire. And they all had their influence on the religion of Islam. And there were so many versions of Islam by now. There was the version which was influenced by the Greek philosophy. And some Muslims were influenced by mysticism. And some Muslims were influenced by the Chinese civilization. And some Muslims were influenced by the Indian culture or civilization. Some Muslims were influenced by the Jews and some were influenced by the Christians and some were influenced by the Persians and some were all influenced by the Greek. A huge mix of different civilizations and denominations and interpretations of the religion of Islam and they all claim that we are the correct version of Islam. We understand Islam. We are the true definers of the religion of Islam. And there was scholarly exchange and sometimes it got heated. And of course, at other times, those different understandings call each other, called each other Muslims and infidels and non-Muslims and fought one another. However, it was the time of great mixing. Where culture played an important role, different civilizations played an important role in defining the religion of Islam. Indeed, the opposite of what Rasulullah was trying to achieve. Was Rasulullah, when he began taking charge of the Muslim Ummah, he told them that the most important thing, the most important driving force, the navigator of every Muslim should be the religion of Islam, not their culture. There are many aspects of the Arabic culture that Rasulullah had to fight. He had to put an end 
to many of the cultural practices. And there he faced great opposition. How can the Arabs that found their culture to be rich now leave their cultural understandings and cultural practices and their rituals and follow Muhammad? And he came to abolish Jahiliyyah. What was Jahiliyyah? Jahiliyyah was when culture was more important than religion and God. And Rasulullah came and said, this is ignorance. Everything shall be dominated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is above culture. Quran is above culture. Rasulullah is above culture. And of course he faced a lot of opposition. But here is now a version of Islam which is heavily influenced by different civilizations and cultures. And this is an important theme when studying and examining the period of the Abbasid dynasty. What do I mean? Today, a student of Islamic history, a student of Tafsir Quran, a student of Hadith, a student of Islamic literature, must study the influence of the Abbasis on the religion we call Islam today. Because it was at that time that tafasir were written based on different understandings and cultural influences. Rituals were brought in from different civilizations into the religion of Islam and they remain amongst the practices of the Muslims today and they're seen as a part of the religion of Islam. But they were imported from different civilizations. Hadiths were interpreted according to different understandings, philosophical understandings, mystic understandings, nationalistic understandings, cultural understandings. And their influence exists within the myths of the religion of Islam until today. Scholars from all over the world came and they defined Islam and they understood Islam with their own mindset. And scholars are also influenced by different things. Give me your undivided attention for a moment. Shaheed Mutahari, Marhum Shaheed Mutahari, this Islamic thinker, pioneer of many revolutionary thoughts states that a scholar from a village is not like a scholar from a city. And scholar from a city is not like a scholar from a major city in the world. A well-traveled scholar is not like a scholar that has not traveled and seen different civilizations and religions and cultures. A scholar who's had exchange of ideas with different philosophies and definitions and interpretations is different than a scholar who is close to his own circle and to his own definition of the religion of Islam. 
where he exchanges ideas with like-minded people. And he says the most successful of scholars, a scholar who's universal, a scholar who is worthy of being at the peak, the highest level of leadership to the community is a scholar who's well-traveled. A scholar who comes from a major city. A scholar who's had academic backgrounds. A scholar who's debated different theories. A scholar who's open-minded, who realizes, look, we're not the only human beings on this earth. And we are not the only ones worthy of Jannah. And we don't have the keys to Jannah in our pockets just because Allah has a special contract with our communities. A special favor for our communities. And indeed, a scholar who has the caveman mentality, never travels, never sees the world, never exchanges ideas with others, is not willing to hear other people undermines their achievements, can also become very dangerous and an obstacle and achieving victory for the community. And conquering the highest mountains of perfection, of success. Because everything you say, everything you do, no, 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 no. This is not the correct way. We don't accept this. We don't allow you to do this. This is haram. That is haram. But the world changes. And the world updates itself. Today, every time you plug your phone into the charge and you're connected to Wi-Fi, says up, up, the phone is updating itself. You turn on your laptop, the laptop says it's updating. It's version of the latest version of the operating system on the laptop. You turn on your TV set, it updates itself. You turn on your satellite dish and it updates itself. The only thing that seems to be where it is and does not update itself is the religion of Islam. Why? Because of the understanding of scholars. Some of the scholars, of course, we're not here to attack the scholars, but we are here to speak of the importance of change. The importance of making sure that we allow freedom of speech, freedom of expression, and the majalis and the seminaries amongst the scholars. And we learn to respect our differences. Yes, I may disagree with you as a scholar. I may disagree with you as a alim. But I must respect you. I don't need to call this person kafir. And call this person an innovator. And this guy is an ignorant. And this guy, Why? Because they disagree with me. Because I am the one who understood the real Islam. Somebody disagrees with me, I make it known. We have a disagreement. But this, this disagreement 
should not lessen the respect and the harmony and brotherhood amongst the community. They say that Allama Bahr al-Ulum, Ayatullah al-Uzma Bahr al-Ulum, the grand merge of his time, had a difference with a scholar. When this scholar came from Qum to Najaf, Sayyid Bahr al-Ulum was the very first person to visit him and to respect him and to honor him. And in return, they say this alam was very cold with Sayyid Bahr al-Ulum. So they told the Sayyid, Agha, you are the Ayatollah, you are Sayyid, he is Shaykh. You are from the progeny of Rasulullah. You are pure. You are the powerful marja' of the time. Don't become so humble to the shaykh, he's arrogant. He, he allowed this advice to fall on deaf ears. Sometimes when some people advise us, we have to not listen to them. Take their advice and let it run from one ear to another. If their advice goes against the teachings of Ahlul Bayt, goes against the teachings of the Quran, the morality of the Imams. So the, the, the Sayyid kept visiting him and kept honoring him. He says, this alim is the guest, is our guest in this city. Until the last day, they told him this alim is departing the city of Najaf. So he says, I have to go and say goodbyes to him. They said, Agha, Mawlana, Sayyidna, why so much humility towards this guy? Let him leave. They say when the Sayyid went to revisit the last visit to this alim, Ayatollah Naraqi, Naraqi fell on the hands of the Ayatollah, kissing it. Saying, Sayyidna, allow me to kiss your feet. So they told him, Shaykhna, are you okay? What happened to you? You've been cold. Maybe even rude at some point to so the Sayyid. Now you want to kiss his hand and feet? He said, yes. Because I wanted to test him. Is he worthy of being the grand marja of my time? He has a book about akhlaq. He speaks of akhlaq. He teaches akhlaq. But I wanted to test his akhlaq. If I am not humble with him, will he continue to demonstrate the akhlaq of Ahlul Bayt? Be forgiving and kind and compassionate and courteous like the Ahlul Bayt? And I found yes. He is. And therefore he is worthy of me to treat him as the representative of the Ahlul Bayt. And today, brothers and sisters, we look at our community and we look at our Masajid and we look at our Husayniyat and our Imam Bargaz. And we ask ourselves when we examine the history of Bani al-Abbas and the Abbasid dynasty and we say there was a mix of culture and culture was above Islam and culture was above the Quran and culture was above the teachings and the legacy of Rasulullah. And Rasulullah came to protect the religion of Islam and he told the Persians and the Arabs and the Abyssinians do not let your culture come above the Qur'an. So he made brotherhood amongst the black and the white and the Arab and the non-Arab and the rich and the poor. 
This is what defines Islam. This is the true face of Islam. We come to our communities. Is it the same? Or no? Until today, the most important thing in our communities is culture, is nationalism, is the language we speak, is where we come from. You know, I would be cheating myself, the member, my audience, whether they are here or elsewhere watching on the internet, if on such an evening we don't speak of those extremely important topics. Yes, I understand that people speak Farsi in a masjid in Iran, and they speak Arabic in a masjid in Iraq, and they speak Indian in a masjid in India, and they speak Urdu in a masjid in Karachi. But we've come to the United States of America, where everybody studies in English, works in English, operates in English, thinks in English, you know. At least your children, the youth, at least everybody sitting in front of me. Now, what language do you think in? Think in English. Do you plan on one day moving back to, back home, wherever you came from? Getting married there, going to school there, having your practice and business there? No. The true reality is you will live here, and after a long healthy life you will die here and you will be buried here. And you will be resurrected in the day of judgment from here. And all lands belong to Allah. So why do we, yes, there are great things sometimes about our cultures. The respect to the parents, honoring the elders. We all know the good things in our culture, but there are also very bad things in our culture. And we are not willing to do that what Rasulullah did. He kept the good and he erased the bad. He said, this is bad culture. This is bad practice. This is like a cancer in your body. Take it out. This is like an aching tooth. Remove it. So you can live in peace. Imagine if you have pain. One part of your body, na'udhu billah, nastajiru billah, may Allah protect you all, has cancer. What do they do? They remove it. So you can live in peace. So you can live in health. Don't say, no, 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 this is part of my body. I can't take it away. Well, if you don't, it's going to take over your entire existence and soon it will take you all. I'll put you on your back. So what do you do? You extract, you remove, you cut away the bad. And this is what we have not learned to do. In, in America, amongst the good things, unfortunately we don't have a lot of time, so I have to move on with my topic examining the Abbasi dynasty. But in America, we're introduced to a lot of great things, brothers and sisters. Amongst that is, wake up early on a Sunday, and go and see five, six different churches. Go and see them. See the way people dress before they go to the church. They wear the best of their attires. Go to the most ghetto neighborhoods. Poorest neighborhoods. People have the best. They wear their suits. 
clean their shoes, put on cologne and perfume, comb their beards, comb their hair, they show up to the church. Why don't we learn this? Why? And then when you go to a church and the pastor is speaking, the priest is delivering a sermon, how many people are inside and how many people are outside? Ah, tell me. How many people are outside drinking tea and smoking cigarettes? And chewing pan? La ilaha illallah. But we say, no, 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 no. Those Americans, they're good. They're bad, bad people. We don't learn nothing from them. We have to keep on our culture. All culture is good. Huh. And then you come to the night of Ashura, the member of Imam Hussein, the majlis of Imam Hussein, the azadari of Imam Hussein, and yet you find people giving more important importance to the cultural Hussein, not the religious Hussein. Because today we have two Husseins. We have Hussein ibn Ali ibn Fatima, the grandson of Rasulullah, who stood for the Quran and for ilm and for justice and quality and, and quality life and the universality of humanity. And he wants us to be learned, educated, civilized, good citizens of the earth. And we have another Hussein ibn Ali. The Iranians have their own Hussein, and the Indians have their own Hussein, and the Afghanis have their own Hussein, and the Pakistanis have their own Hussein. Everybody has a different version of Hussein. Which version? The version that suits them, that they like, that makes them happy. That is defined by their culture and their understandings. I am not afraid to tell you, brothers and sisters, that this second Hussein that we have manufactured and produced in our own factories is influenced by many different civilizations. The Hindus have had an influence on this second Hussein, and the Indian culture has had an influence, and I spoke of the Bollywood influence on the rituals of Hussein as well. They make the clips of the Azadari of Imam al-Hussein from a Bollywood movie. And the Persian civilization has had an influence on him. And the Iraqi civilization has had an influence on him. Every culture has had come and defined Hussein the way they see him. But the member of Imam al-Hussein tells you what? Return back to Hussein ibn Ali. Rasulullah who said what? Asiru ala sirati jaddi wa abi. I am here to follow the footsteps of my grandfather Rasulullah and my father Amir al-Mu'mineen. I am here to stand in defense of the Quran. Allow your kids to be introduced to that Hussein brothers, the original Hussein. Don't define him. Don't bring Hussein down so much that your children 
see him as a cultural event, a ritual. Make Hussein above all those things. And culture plays a huge role, brothers and sisters. Even in the West, for the followers of Ahlul Bayt, we defied ourselves. Sometimes we disrespect one another, unfortunately. We are not united. Why? Because of differences of language, differences of race. While you see the true followers of Ahlul Bayt were in Arba'een. When you see the Indian and the Pakistani and the Iranian and the Lebanese and the Iraqi and the white and the black and the rich and the poor, all there gathered because of their love for Hussein. And Imam Hussein is the host, the most generous host. 20 million people go and visit him, they eat at least three warm meals a day. They sleep in comfort. They are respected. They are honored. Even they massage their feet. They wash their clothes. They kiss their feet saying, You are the Za'ir of Hussein. Huh? This is the original Hussein ibn Ali. This is the power of this man. But only when we understand him through the Imam and the Ma'soom that he was. Not bringing him down to our own understandings. And this makes Islam, puts Islam in danger brothers and sisters. This puts Islam in great danger. What do I mean? I mean when Culture becomes above the Quran and becomes above the teachings of Ahlul Bayt and becomes above Rasulullah. Islam is then in danger. And this is exactly the advice that I will give to any student of Islam. If you decide to study the religion of Islam and better understand the religion of Islam, Go and look at the influence of cultures and civilizations and different understandings that came in to the religion of Islam during the Abbasid dynasty. After the 132nd year from the Hijrah. Now let us examine the Khilafah of Bani al-Abbas and what they had to bring into the religion of Islam after your loud salawat ala Muhammadin wa Ali Muhammad. Brothers, move as forward as possible. Move as forward as possible. Three salawats, move forward. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. No, no, no. You don't have to stick to each other, please. Separate. Somebody has to manage those young boys. <clears throat> Brothers, you didn't move enough. All the side, fill the side. Move, move close, move close. We still have some. Don't stick to each other, please. Two more salawats and fill in the gaps, please. Salla ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. Salla ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. 
I think the carpet has some glue, huh? Especially towards that side. <coughs> the Abbasi influence began due to the decline of Bani Umayyah. Listen to this, we, we have spoken of Islam and Islamic history from the demise of Rasulullah onwards. We have reached Bani Umayyah yesterday when we discussed them. Today we speak of Bani Abbas. But what did we say about Bani Umayyah? We said Bani Umayyah divided between the Arabs and the non-Arabs. They respected the Arabs and disrespected the non-Arabs. And they had a definition called Al-Hujana. What were the Hujana? Hujana were the people who had mixed blood. So the first type of payment, the grand payment, was given to those who were from Bani Umayyah, the elite. Second, was given to the alliances of Bani Umayyah. Third, was given to the Arabs. Fourth, was given to the Hujana, the mix, Arab and non-Arab. Then to the non-Arabs who were Muslim before conquest and last Muslims after conquest. So you had six different classes in an Islamic empire. And they were all given differently from Bayt al-Mal. And of course this upset a lot of people, especially the non-Arabs. And many people were not given from Bayt al-Mal. Anybody who had fought Bani Umayyah, anybody who was considered an opposition to Bani Umayyah, anybody who was not considered a follower of Bani Umayyah, was not given from Bayt al-Mal. So this created an uproar into the Muslim empire. In the year 130, Abu Muslim al-Khurasani, a man from Khurasan, was able to convert Khurasan. Khurasan is where? Where Imam al-Ridha is buried in Persia. He was, he was supported by the Persians to overthrow the rule of Bani al-Abbas in Khurasan. Abu Muslim al-Khurasani, very young man, but very brave. He was extremely powerful as a leader. He was able to overthrow the rule of Bani al-Abbas in Khurasan and a man by the name of Abu Salam al-Khalal in Kufa. Abu Salam al-Khalal, he rode the waves after the killing of Mukhtar ibn Abu Ubaidah al-Thaqafi. And then I spoke to you yesterday of Zayd al-Shaheed towards the end, the 121st year after the Hijrah. Towards the end and four years his body was crucified and revolutions after the revolution of Zayd, the followers of Ahlul Bayt and the Shia were also extremely upset. So Abu Salam al-Khalal had an uprising in Kufa and he overthrew the rule of Bani Umayyah in Kufa. So Kufa and Khurasan became part of of a revolution. But this revolution wasn't known. What is this revolution? Where is it leading? They told them it's leading towards the governance and the rule 
of al-rida min ali muhammad the pleasing of ahl al-bayt the pleasure of ahl al-bayt under the guidelines of ahl al-bayt two things one those who are non-arabs had a lot of power and they wanted ahl al-bayt as their rulers because they saw them as people who of knowledge of virtue of justice and also the Shia who were being prosecuted and killed. They saw Hussein being killed. And after Hussein, they saw the prosecution of Al-Mukhtar. They saw the prosecution of Zayd al-Shaheed. They saw the prosecution of many people in the name of Imam al-Hussein and the revolt against Bani Umayyah. So the government's title was, it's going to be a government for Ahl al-Bayt. And the most influential people and that government and the revolution were the followers of Ahl al-Bayt. Specifically, after the demise of Muhammad ibn al-Hanafiya. Muhammad ibn al-Hanafiya, when he died, he had a son by the name of Abu Hashim. Abu Hashim took leadership after Muhammad ibn al-Hanafiya, and he continued to gain power. What happened was, the power remained in the hands of the sons of Abu Talib, Al-Talibiyun, and their children until the demise of Abu Hashim. Then it shifted from Abu Talib, the son of Abu Talib, Ali ibn Abi Talib, and his children to their cousins, the sons of Abbas. And they said, no, 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 no. We are all one family. We are here to protect the rights of Ahl al-Bayt. We are here to have an uprising to take the vengeance of Hussein ibn Ali and Zayd al-Shaheed and the rest of the shuhada. And to stop the zulm of Bani Umayyah. So Abu Salam al-Khalal called the first Abbasi Caliph, Abu Abbas or Abdullah. His name was Abdullah. His title was Abu al-Abbas. He came and he gave his very first sermon. And after that sermon, he was referred to as Al-Saffah. There, in that sermon in Kufa, after the uprising of Kufa, he says that Allah has honored us Ahl al-Bayt. It was the progeny of, of Abbas, the uncle of Rasulullah. The progeny of Abdullah ibn Abbas, the famous scholar, respected clan. He says, Allah has honored us, the Ahl al-Bayt, and we will govern with justice, and we will take the vengeance of those who have seen injustice and zulm, but those who stand against us, fa'anas saffah. Now, people will tell you, saffah means I am the one who will spill the blood, in Arabic. But some people have told you, no, Safah means I am the one that gives, I am the generous. Because it has two definitions in the Arabic language. Anyhow, he was the pioneer of the spilling of blood. When he took charge and things calmed down, ah. So what happened was, they had a battle between Marwan al-Umawi, Marwan al-Himar, who we spoke about yesterday, Marwan the mule, the last... Abbas, uh, the last Umawi Khalifa, they chased him to Sham. He was defeated with 40,000 soldiers. He had 40,000 soldiers. The last army of Bani Umayyah defeated. He ran to Egypt. He went into the church. We spoke to you about this yesterday. 
They got him out of the church, they killed him. Then the Muslim community slowly began to pay allegiance to Abu Abbas al-Saffah or Abdullah al-Saffah, the first Abbasi Khalifa. When he took charge of the Ummah, now he decided that he has to get rid of whom? Abu Muslim al-Khurasan and Abu Salam al-Khalal because of their achievements. They served them, they got them there. So he began to shift the power from a government ruled by military to a government ruled by the dynasty of the Abbasis. So he brought his children and his brothers and his nephews and his cousins and put them in charge. And slowly took away the powers from the military. He was not able to, he was not able to put an end to Abu Muslim al-Khurasani but his brother Abu Ja'far al-Mansur al-Abbasi when he came he made it a point to get rid of this young leader this young warrior Abu Muslim al-Khurasani who was from Khurasan Abu Muslim had gone to Hajj and then the Abbasi Khalifa arrived after him. So he saw the amount, the huge entourage, amount of respect, people are going to this guy as if he was the Khalifa. So he asked, who is this guy? They said, this is Abu Muslim al-Khurasani. He's your commander-in-chief of the army. At that time, he decided that Abu Muslim has to. So he spoke to two of the best friends of Abu Muslim al-Khurasani. He said to them, listen, you want to take the position of Abu Muslim? Go and convince him to come and visit me and give me allegiance. Abu Muslim had given allegiance to the Khalifa, but not in person. They said, bring him in person to give the, 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 the bay'ah here. And Abu Muslim had asked for the hand of the sister of the Khalifa, and the Khalifa had rejected, so some, there was some friction there. They told him, you're a Persian, how can we give you, you know, our daughter? Anyhow, so when the Abu Muslim came to give allegiance, obviously you know what they did to him. In the middle of the night, they killed him, they took away his weapons and they killed him. And that was the end of Abu Muslim al-Khurasani. And after that, they had one more opposition left. The revolution began by the Shia and the Talibin and in the name of the children of Al-Ali. And now they have no position in power. So now they have to take them out. Allahu Akbar. The amount of murder in the Sayyids and the children of Ali ibn Abi Talib and the children of Imam Hassan and the children of Imam Hussein and the children of Zain al-Abideen and the children of Imam al-Baqir and the children of Imam al-Sadiq and continue their lineage until Imam al-Ridha and Imam al-Jawad, the amount of killing in Ahl al-Bayt had multiplied in the time of Bani al-Abbas by many folds than the time of Bani Umayyah. They were thirsty for the blood of Al-Ali. And I will tell you how. And I, I will tell you some of the things that they have done. Now, 
Amongst the greatest of heroes and personalities of Bani al-Abbas is Harun, also known as Harun al-Rashid, Harun the Wise. Harun, who is praised and, and he is seen to be a hero. Harun al-Abbasi was indeed a hero, a pioneer in being a criminal. And kill us, killing innocent people. And teaching Bani al-Abbas not to ever have mercy with anybody who opposes them. The most important thing is conquering territory and land. In one shipment, they brought the Khalifa 60,000 slaves that were women to bring and give to the Khalifa. 60,000. Imagine this number for a second. 60,000 Women who were taken as prisoners of war, a gift to the Khalifa. What is he going to do with 60,000 women? In one battle, 350,000 women were taken as prisoners of war. From different parts of the world. Go look at the so-called liberation or the conquest of Tbilisi. 50,000 people were killed in one day. Burnt. Their homes were burned down. Women who were pregnant carrying their children were slaughtered by the army that had conquests of Islam. Rasulullah, after the battle of Uhud, they took some captives. They took captives because Muslims had, they had taken captives from Muslims. And they were waiting for an exchange deal. We give you two, you give us two. We had, they had an exchange deal between the Muslims and the pagan Arabs. The next day, Rasulullah, when they came to wake him up, he was so tired. He was so sleepy. They told him, Ya Rasulullah, you seem so tired. What is wrong with you? He says, I could not sleep the whole night. I said, why? He said, because we have ropes on the hands of those people. And one of them, he was saying, ah, every while. He was saying, ah, from the rope, he was saying, ah. And I was heartbroken for him. He is our asir. I want to find a solution. And let us make a deal with them immediately. Let's not keep those people in a limbo. This is Islam. This is the mercy of Rasulullah. Not going into a land and forcing them into the religion of Islam, and if they don't enter Islam, then we burn them and we kill them. And they don't know where this Islam came to them. In the middle of the night it comes, and it takes 50,000 human lives. All in the name of Allahu Akbar. Today, don't be surprised when you say people see people say, Allahu Akbar and detonate a bomb. Allahu Akbar and chop a head. Allahu Akbar and kill innocent people. Allahu Akbar and... Drive the plane into the World Trade Center. Why? Because a period of Islam that some people will tell you it is the golden era of Islam. It is the most shameful part of Islamic history. It is the disgrace of Islam. The decline of Islam. The decline of morality and ethics. Where one man calls himself the Khalifa of Allah and Rasulullah and has 60,000 and his son, Harun, Harun al-Rashid, his son, he had two sons, Al-Amin and Ma'moon. 
we'll talk about the Ma'mun. But Al-Amin, his mother, Zubaydah, used to tell him, son, please get married. He had other type of inclinations. So his mother was forced to, the woman, she would cut their hair like boys and dress them like boys. And then Al-Khalifa's son, who also became a Khalifa himself, would then marry them. He told one of the conquerors, one of the heads of the army, please also add some of the young boys when you bring them from Europe, add them into this conquest. This was the Khalifa of the Muslims because 60,000 women were not enough for the Khalifa. And those are the people that must be honored and glorified in Islam. Let us know history. Let us read history. For how long will we say we have to remain silent and not talk about history? History is irrelevant. Wallahi, history today is the most relevant thing that needs to be discussed. Because when you see Islam being hijacked, misunderstood, and it needs to be redefined and reevaluated, it all traces back to history. And there are things, Wallahi, I cannot say from the member. Go read them in the books. I cannot say them from the member. I have already said more than enough. Al Amin and Ma'mun, the two sons of Harun al Rashid, he put Al Amin as his successor. And Ma'mun, he sent him to Khurasan. He said to him, You govern Khurasan, and this guy, you stay in Baghdad. When the father died, Al Amin became. The Khalifa, Ma'mun came with his army, ransacked Baghdad, killed his own brother, crucified him, and said to them, you have to, every person in Baghdad has to curse my brother. Curse him. So, people started cursing. When they come, there was a guy sitting. You curse Al-Ameen, and Al-Ma'mun pays you. So someone came, he wanted more money. I think he had a loan or something. So he came, he said, May Allah curse you, may Allah curse your father, may Allah curse your mother, may Allah curse your brother, may Allah curse you. He said, Allah, just curse him. Do you cursing me and my dad and my whole clan? So they took the body down. Go read history. Brothers. Now this Al-Ameen, had to look for legitimacy. How can you kill your own brother for the sake of power? So what did he do? He called on to the grandson of Rasulullah, Al-Imam Al-Ridha, to come all the way from Medina and to accept becoming the successor of the Khalifa. Imam Al-Ridha refused. But he was not given a choice. You either come by choice, or we will drag you. Imagine somebody who kills his own brother and asks people to curse him. You think you can defy this guy? And they tell you that he was Shia and he loved Imam al Ridha and there was there were cousins. Wallahi, this is ignorance. People don't read history. They hear something from here, read you know something from there, and they make their own version of Islam and they start 
Anyhow. He brought in Imam al-Ridha and Imam al-Ridha told him, I don't want to have anything into politics, any decision making, nothing. And you all know the biography of Imam al-Ridha. Until the power of Imam al-Ridha became so strong that he outpowered the Khalifa, outshined the Khalifa. And of course he's Imam al-Ridha. He's the ba'soom. He's given knowledge by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he tried his best to show a weakness to the people from Imam al-Ridha. So he brought Sunni scholars to debate him. Imam al-Ridha won. Go read Kitab al-Ihtijaj, the debates of Imam al-Ridha. He brought atheists to debate Imam al-Ridha. And all the debates were public. And of course, Imam al-Ridha shined as the scholar and the alim of Al-Muhammad. And he brought in Jews, he brought in Christians, he brought in all sorts of denominations to debate Imam al-Ridha in one Gathering, he had 1,000 of the ulama versus Imam al-Ridha. So that he can show a weakness from him. So that one time, somewhere, somehow he'll slip. People will see him as somebody who lacks some kind of knowledge, some kind of skills. But Imam al-Ridha kept shining and dispersed from Imam al-Ridha like an ocean and a river. Knowledge and ilm and wisdom and taqwa and piety and righteousness. Until he could not bear it. So what did he do to him? He poisoned him. And he killed him. And he forced his son, Al-Imam Al-Jawad, to be engaged to his own daughter. At a very young age. And they continued not only fight... Ahl al-Bayt, but those who also stood with Ahl al-Bayt. For example, Al-Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, the most honored and respected scholars in Sunni Islam, Imam al-Hadith, was killed by the Abbasis. Al-Mutawakkil al-Abbasi killed him. He beat him, he imprisoned him, he disrespected him, humiliated him. And Mutawakkil, when he came, the first thing on his agenda was to bring disrespect to Ahl al-Bayt. You know what Mutawakkil used to do? Mutawakkil used to bring a clown into the majlis. And this clown would be bald and he would have a big belly and he would say nonsense. And then Mutawakkil would be drunk so he would say to this clown, who are you? And he would say, I am Ali ibn Abi Talib, and people would laugh. And his son told him, Father, you are Nasibi. Rasulullah has said, the definition between haq and batal is Ali. A munafiq and a mu'min is defined and judged according to their love for Ali. You are Nasibi. He warned him many times. But he continued to, to curse Ali ibn Abi Talib and to speak of the chastity of Fatima to Zahra. Allah. Al Mutawakkil 
tried four times to destroy the grave of Imam al-Hussein. And it was in the time of Al-Mutawakkil al-Abbasi that they created a flood so that it can go towards the grave of Imam al-Hussein so that the flood would dig the grave of Hussein and the body of Hussein would be dug out of the grave. And he would chop the hands of the Za'ireen of Hussein. If you, do, if you are a Za'ir of Hussein, they would chop your hands. And that is why people would say, لَوْ قَطَّعُوا أَرْجُلَنَا وَالْيَدَيْنِ نَأْتِيكَ زَحْفًا سَيِّدِي يَا حسين. If they cut our hands, then we will crawl with our feet to you, Ya Hussein. They would go. Some of them would have no arm. He would say, you're missing an arm. We cut your arm yet last year because you were the, visited, the visitor of Hussein. He says, please take my left arm. But I will not stop the visitation of Hussein. If they cut our limbs, this was the call of the Shia of Hussein. We will crawl to his grave. Take our limbs, take our hands. What is our hand compared to the hand of Hussein? What is our feet compared to the status of Hussein ibn Ali ibn Fatima? And he made that flood come towards the grave of Imam al Hussein, but with the mu'jizah of Allah. Allah who protects Hussein, who loves Hussein, who honors Hussein, according to Sahih Muslim, Allah man minni wa ana min Hussein. Rasulullah says, Allah loves those who love Hussein. Allah has chosen for Hussein to be the torch of light. Huh? Then the water surrounds the grave of Hussein, and it revolves around the grave of Hussein, and it does tawaf around the shrine of Hussein, and that is why that area today is known as Al Ha'ir al Husseini. Al Ha'ir al Husseini. What is the history of Al Ha'ir al Husseini? Where the water kept circulating around the grave. Har. The water was confused. The water did not take its natural course of rotation. Why? Because there was a superpower there to protect the shrine of Hussein. And Rasulullah predicted this. He would tell his uncle, Waylun, Lidurriyati min awladika ya Abbas. Wail is great punishment, great hardship. Great agony. Rasulullah, every time he would see Abbas on many occasions, his uncle, he would say, Wailun, Wail. Wailun li dhurriyati. My dhurriya, my progeny will see Wail from your children, Abbas. So Rasulullah predicted this. He told him. And he wanted history to write this. And amongst the strategies, the Masa'ib that fell, don't think that the Masa'ib, yes, the greatest of Masa'ib is the Masa'ib of Hussein. But don't think that Ahlul Bayt and the children of Hussein were saved from Masa'ib after Ashura. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.